Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Welcome to Harbor Church. If you're watching us online, those of you on Facebook or YouTube or listening to it on the podcast or visiting today, uh, maybe this is your first time in church, your first time in any church or in a really long time, man, I'm just, I'm glad you're with us. Um, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor Church. And uh, man, we're into a new series, if you couldn't tell by the intro video. We're talking about the idea of American Idol, not the TV show, not even really the American part, just the idol part. Uh, any, just be honest, how many of you here know the show and or you have even watch it? Come on, know the American Idol show. Yeah, how many of you actively are watching it right now because it's on? So I say, that's a lot fewer. All right, whatever. But you guys know what it is. Those of you online, you can put your hand up. If you watch, or just even if you know what the show is, the idea there is, you know, people are trying out, and it's great. And we'll have a new contestant every week, and it gets progressively, I don't know if the term is worse or better, but it's, just come back. You'll see, you'll see as we go along in this, in this uh, series uh, what happens. But um, the, uh, the show is not what really we're talking about, this idea of, uh, they, they created a show that said, man, we, we want to find the next person to idolize. And uh, I think this is a common thing for us um, as Americans, but as people, wherever you're watching, I know we've got, we've got people watching all over the world, wherever you're watching from, there's a, there's a tendency in us, inside of us, to idolize things. Um, the, the word is not super common other than one TV show because it's a Bible word. Idolatry was something that the, the Bible strictly forbid, and it was always a negative, um, but it doesn't get talked about that much anymore. This is what it says in the Bible that normally uh, we get the idea of idolatry from. It's from the first two Ten Commandments. Um, if you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments, these are the, the ten basic laws that God gave to Moses um, for how the children of Israel, the people who follow after God, are supposed to conduct themselves. And the first one says this. This is found in Exodus chapter 20. The first one's verse number three. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. God says, I need to be number one in your life. I need to be the number one top thing in your life. There's nothing that you should have, that you should worship, that you should love more than me. He follows it up with the second one, says this, you should not make your, for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. So these are the first two commandments. I've got, God says, I've got to be first, and you can't have any other gods that you worship. So see, this is what idolatry means. If, you're, if you struggle with the idea of what's it mean to have an idol, what's it mean to idolatrize or idolize something, it means to worship something. Now, some of you are like, oh, okay, enlightened. And some of you went, what's it mean to worship something? Like, you're not clarifying this for me, Pastor. What does it mean to worship? What's it look like for you to, anything that you worship has now become an idol to you. Do you understand that part? If you, if I, if you said, uh, like, oh, I worship my car, then that car is now an idol to you. Oh, I worship this sports figure. Okay, that's your idol. And we act like it's an okay thing. And I understand in a lot of contexts, people aren't, don't really mean they're worshiping. But I do think there is a, a part of our heart that we do worship things. Here's the definition of worship an extravagant respect or adoration to esteem, to value, or to admire any item, idea, person, or deity above all the others. See, if there's anything, if there's an idea or a person or an item or a deity that you admire more than the others, uh, raise above the others, um, esteem or value, or just have an extravagant respect for it, that's something that you worship. The problem with a lot of Christians today is we read the Old Testament and we think, well, I don't idolize anything. I'm not, I'm not a guilty of idolatry because back then they were carving statues, taking gold and silver or wood or stone, pretty much any material they could find, and they were carving out crazy-looking figures, and that was symbolic of their God. And we can read that and we're like, well, I don't go into my living room and worship a statue. I don't go and pray to a carved rock or I don't pray to a piece of wood or anything. And so we say, I'm not, I'm not guilty of it. But yet, 
the idea of idolatry is anything that you worship, and worship is anything that you value above everything else. So there's a lot of things that you can have a value on, but the thing that you value most is your idol. Everybody with me so far? All right. Just got to nod every once in a while. Those of you online, just thumbs up, okay? So I'm going to ask you this, and, and I want you to just think for the rest of this message, what is it that you might idolize? Every week we're going to talk about one thing, but um, and I th- I'm guilty of all of them, just so you know. But you might have one that really hits you more than the others. I think if you're honest, uh, everything that we talk about in this series pops up in your life from time to time. I wanted to start with one that I see happening more and more in our culture. Things that are happening, uh, I see this, this form of worship taking place. And it's, bit, it's become very pervasive in the last probably five or six decades in our culture, especially in America, but it's, it's worldwide. And this is the idea that, that you need to value or esteem your feelings your emotions as the number one source in your life. Now, this idea comes from a a world context that does not value God. And I understand that some of you watching or listening, you don't know what you believe about God. If you're not sure whether you can put your faith in God or you don't know what to trust when it comes to uh, what we're talking about, I'm just glad that you're listening. I'm glad you're here. The most important decision you'll ever make is to invite Jesus Christ into your life, to accept him as your savior. Let him be the one calling the shots to make him the God of your life. Until you make Jesus the God of your life, by default, you are the God of your life. And so here's what we're talking about. If you have accepted Christ, then you claim that Jesus is the Lord, the the God of your life. Then you're supposed to esteem him and value him more than anything else. But see, the world can't accept that culture around us does not want to accept Jesus, doesn't want to admit there's a God or that there's a need for God. So to replace what is the biggest hole in our life, the thing that that truly leaves us empty is the absence of a relationship with God. The world gives us all these things to fill that hole with. And you have to battle whether you are going to fill that emptiness with a relationship with God or with something that you want. And guess what the world gives you? Plenty of things to want. We have a lot of things to want. And right now, one of the things that we idolize more than anything is to to follow through with whatever we feel. You see, we have a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings, and they're not bad, some of them. But what the, the culture around us tells us, if you feel that way, if that's what's in your heart, if that's what you want, if that's what's driving you, then you follow that. And what God says is, no. You're broken. There's a, there's a sin nature in you that I died to, to fix, but if you just follow after whatever's inside of you, you're going to be led down the wrong path. But see, all of the psychology and all of the culture and all of the Pinterest quotes and all the Instagram things that we put, they all talk about, like, man, you just feel this. I just feel this way. This is what I want to go with. And people just lean into their feelings. A lot of, for a lot of us, you, you, you lean into your feeling of, of anger when, when you're frustrated, or you lean into a feeling of depression when you're sad sometimes you you pursue good feelings and i'll give you a list of them here in a minute but i don't think we recognize how much we worship our feelings they're a part of our life and god told us that we're supposed to control them and yet every single person in this room and every person watching at some time or another and probably a couple of times today if you're honest you stopped having god in your, as the primary source of what you do, and you replaced it with, I feel like this, so this is what I'm going to do. I'll wait for you to write that down or catch up or something. All right, so this is, uh, and a lot of people tell me, well, I just have to get my feelings out. I hear this one a lot. Well, Pastor, this is, I'm just a very, <coughs> excuse me, I'm a very dramatic person. I'm a very <coughs> passionate person. I love that. So am I. That does not mean that every feeling you have, just because you're demonstrative, just because you're perhaps an extrovert, doesn't mean that everything that you feel has to come out. 
through the things you say, the way you act, the stuff you let yourself think, all of your emotions do not get to dictate all of your actions. Somebody write that down because you're not living that truth out right now. Everything you do is based off of how you feel at that moment. If you're grumpy, you act like a royal turd. See, some of you aren't nodding your head, but the person next to you is doing this. Some of you, because things are scary, you have lived your life and walk around nervous and anxious. Some of you, because somebody hurt you, you walk around bitter and angry and resentful. Some of you, because you have a low self-esteem or somebody has spoken words of, uh, of destruction over you or because you've bought into a lie from Satan, you, you go around with envy and jealousy of other people. And that's how you live. You're always critical or always feeling extra down about everything you see. See, you, you are allowing the way you live to be dictated by a broken part of your sin nature. Well, I just got to get it out. I just got, no, you don't. Proverbs 29, 11 says this. Fools vent their anger. And you can replace this with any emotion you want. Fools vent their, and then fill it in. Like their love, their frustration, their depression, their anger, their, you can make it a good emotion, their joy. Their whatever. When you just, I just got to get it out. It doesn't do anything. It actually says that's a foolish thing to do, to vent these things. The wise learn how to hold things back. Does it mean bottle everything up? Don't. Some of you, we'll talk about the other end of this, uh, the, 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 the swinging the pendulum too far the other way. But right now, let's talk about the ones that are just, I feel it, I live it. Like, there it is. Just straight, just two seconds. Boom, there it is. Um, probably not even that long. See, the Bible says that's a foolish thing to do. Ephesians 5, 15 says, be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool, but live like somebody who's wise. Don't be stupid. Don't let everything just come out the second that you feel it. You see, we worship our feelings so much, we worship emotions more than we worship truth. See, this is true for me. This is true for most everybody in here. And see, the world says if you feel the emotion, then it must be truth. If you're angry, then it, then there must, it must be true. This is everything, everything needs to be torn down because you're angry that that emotion has to be truth if you're sad or you're afraid or you're whatever that emotion has to be true and it's not actual truth it's just what you're choosing to believe we're gonna look at a story that shows how that's that that comes out i am not saying that we don't need emotions i don't want you to walk out of here going oh pastor said that like you know emotions are a bad thing no they're not god created us to be emotional creatures like I said, I like people that are dramatic. Like, I hope you get dramatic when you worship because it's not a whole lot of fun. Like, whoa, let's go. Come on. You can have some life. You can be demonstrative. I'm okay with that. And if you're not, I'm okay with that too. See, they did a study. There's this neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio. And what he did is he studied people that had uh, prefrontal cortex damage. That's a section of your brain um, that uh, controls uh, emotions or um, processes, not controls, but processes emotions, that part of your brain. And so what he did was people who had damage to that part of the brain and, and weren't able to process emotions, they gave them simple choices, like would put two pieces of fruit out in front of them or give them like a simple task, just give them two options. And because there was no emotion tied to anything, they couldn't make choices. They couldn't decide between the two. See, this, and what that proved was a lot of people like to think, oh, I'm not emotional. I'm very logical. I make decisions based on logic. No, you really don't. Your, your emotions play heavy into your decisions. They really do. And even those of you that are sitting there like, I haven't had an emotion in forever. <laughs> See, that reminds me of, you, any, any Trekkie fans in here? Nobody knows Star Trek? Come on, you guys remember my man Spock? Remember Spock? You remember all the emotions of Spock? <laughs> Prideful, sadness, jealousy, everything. Home slice didn't move, right? <laughs> like, you couldn't tell if he was angry or like having a party. He just stared all the time, you know? And it, people were like, well, that's just the best way to be. To have no emotions would help me make such logical decisions. You can be incredibly logical, 
your brain actually needs some emotion to help you make decisions. Your, your passions do help drive you. But you're not supposed to be controlled by them. So those of you on this side saying emotions are all bad and I'm just, I'm just going to cut them all out and if I don't like an emotion, I don't need an emotion. No, you do. And those of you that are over here that are like, ah, every emotion I have, I'm just, whoa, or, mm, or, or whatever. Hell, I don't know how you would define yourself, so I can't do every emotion every time. But you get, you're over here or you're over here. The truth is in the middle. God created you to be this way, but not to be controlled by your flesh or your, uh, you know, your brokenness there. See, this is, this is what Proverbs 16, 32 says. It says, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. If you were able to go take an entire city by yourself, you would be a hero above heroes in that culture. To take a city was wicked hard to do. Uh, they had big walls, they had towers, they had big gates. You would die before you ever got close. And if you could manage to take a city, man, what, a, what, what an awesome warrior, warrior you would be. And the Bible says, if you learn to have self-control, you're better than that kind of a warrior. Why do you think the Bible talks about self-control? And I'm going to read you a few more verses on that a little bit later. We are so lacking in the self-discipline category. We all, every person here, we fall short of where God has called us to be because we will not discipline ourselves. We will not control our emotions. You are in control of what you feel. Now, that, that goes counter to where you're like, well, I just, something bad happened, so I feel sad. Yes, the feeling is there. There's a lot of reasons to feel all the ways that you feel. We could all come up with a hundred reasons to be angry right now, or to be sad, or to be glad. You pick which one you're going to allow yourself to resonate with. Or let me say it a different way. You pick which one you're going to idolize or worship. You're right now in control. Just I can't see because of the masks, but I want you all to smile. Some of you didn't do it just out of spite. I get it. But you're in control. You can make yourself smile if you choose to smile. If you choose not to, that's because you're in control. And it's the same way when you wake up tomorrow, what attitude you're going to have. It may be raining. Your tire may be flat. Your job may be boring. Your marriage may be struggling. Your teacher may be picking on you. I don't know. Fill in the blank. There's a lot of reasons why you may not love everything that happens tomorrow, but you're in control of how you act. See, what I just did is I did the opposite of what the world does. I just took away from you the power for you to go, well, I, I'm going to do these bad things because all the other bad things that are happening to me, and it's just, it's just fair. It's just bad happens to me, so that's why I'm going to act bad or be bad or treat people bad. No. You do not get to do that just because this happened to you. You're in control. Bad things are going to happen. You pick what you do with them. And by the way, I'm, har I'm harping on the bad because that's where more people resonate. But you might, you might be in, in a whole bunch of categories. There's a ton of emotions that you can worship, a ton of emotions that you can analyze. I'm going to throw some up on the screen for you. I just want you to look at these. Some of these are good things. They're all motivators. They're all emotions that motivate you to actions. And here's the thing. The good ones can become idols too. The bad ones, you can see the bad ones and go, yeah, sometimes I do that. Yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm driven by my, uh, you know, my anger or my depression or my greed and I, I do things based off of like wanting more, or just being upset. But you know what? Some people pursue joy to the point that they, as long as it makes them happy, they go after it. Like if this man, I'm the, now you worship your own joy. If it, if you're not happy, you won't do it. That sounds like a tantrum that a seven year old would have. And yet, there's many adults that live their life like if it doesn't make me happy, then I'm not in for it. You're being controlled by your emotions. You have worshipped joy to the place that you can't go forward unless it's specifically what you want. Use any one of these. I'm guilty of all of these. They all sneak into our life. Some of us have given in to one or two of them so much that Satan knows it's your hot button. So he keeps hitting you with one or two of them repeatedly. And the other ones just peppers in as, you know, a way to, to just anything he can do to pull you away from God. See, we, 
we give in to emotion sometimes when it has, it has, it, we know it has detrimental effect to us. It just feels good to give in to that emotion. Not a single one of you shook your head yes. Make these, when I confess these things and you stare at me, I feel like the worst person ever. I'm like, I suck at life. Like, because I give in to emotions all the time and I know they're wrong. I'm like, God does not want me to be mad, but I'm pissed and I'm just going to live it out right now. And I will just be all kinds of turned sideways at a traffic jam. And I know it's not pleasing to God, but I'm just giving into my hand because it feels good to squeeze my steering wheel for a minute. And that's the nicest thing I'm going to tell you, okay? <laughs> they did an experiment. They did an experiment. And this is, they use this study in a lot of different places. A lot of places run this experiment. But what they do is they take two people and they give one of them $10. And they say, okay, here, the $10 is for person A. Person B has to work with person A, but here's what happens. Person A, you pick an amount of money to split, how you want to split that $10 and offer it to person B. You offer them $1, $5, $6, all $10. Offer them an amount, and, and whatever they accept is what you get to keep. So if person A says, I'll give you, person B, $4, then person A gets to keep the other 6 Here's the problem, though. Person B has to accept the offer. And if person B doesn't accept the offer, nobody gets any money. So that was the simple test. Person A gets 10 bucks. They got to find a way to split it with person B by making one offer. And person B has to accept or decline. So person A has to figure out how greedy they want to be. And I mean, I, could, I can give this person two bucks. They don't have any money, so I'll give them two, and that lets me keep eight. <laughs> that seems fair. They don't have anything. And person B's over there going, let's see what you're going to offer me. What they found was whenever person B got offered anything low, all the lowball offers, you know what they did? They said, no deal. Now, logic says, even if they only offered you $1, it's $1 more than what you got. And I, some of you are shaking your head because you know if you were person B, you say no, what? Out of spite. Because you're like, if I ain't getting 10 bucks, you ain't getting 10 bucks. And if you know that, like it, they, it, they found that repeatedly that was what people's options were. It doesn't make any sense. It just feels good to know you were greedy, so I'm going to be stingy or I'm going to be mean and block both of us. Like it, 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 was, it, it happened so often, it wasn't a fluke. That's just how we're wired. Now, some of you... Uh, you're like, I would never do that. Like, I thought of me, like, I'd give, I go five bucks, split it five, five. Like, that seems, but that's not how everybody's wired. And apparently, maybe I wouldn't do that when I had that actual 10 bucks in my hand. I don't know. But the people who didn't go even usually didn't get anything at all. And it just spoke to how we are. I think that we, we probably forget that this has been a struggle forever because. Social media and the way the world is now seems to exemplify all of our feelings. And so it feels like this is a kind of a new problem where everybody's wrapped up in their, in their emotions. It's not. Let me read to you a story from the Bible. And it's, it's, it's not a well-known story, but it has some of the biggest ramifications for the individual involved. All right, This story takes place back in the Old Testament. And it revolves around a leader named Moses. And if you don't know who Moses is, he's probably the most influential prophet um, leader for all of the, the nation of Israel. King David would probably be the most revered king in all of Jewish history. Moses would probably be the most recognized hero leader um, person in, in, in their entire heritage. I mean, Moses is such a a figurehead, a phenomenal leader for bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. He gets them out of slavery, which they love him for, but then he's leading them through the desert because they have a bad attitude and they refuse to go into the promised land that God had for them because they were too afraid. God punishes them to walk around the desert for 40 years. Towards the end of that 40 years, this happens. This takes place in Numbers chapter 20. Once again, it's New Testament, right towards the, or Old Testament, right towards the beginning. Numbers chapter 20, verse number one, it says, In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. Miriam was Moses' sister. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. 
This is not a brand new thing, by the way, for these guys. The people blamed Moses and they said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers, why have you brought us or brought the congregation of the Lord's people into the wilderness to die along with all of our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us to this territory? They do this all the time. Why did you take us out of slavery? Why did you you rescue us from certain death? This is their complaint all the time. This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, no water. They sure are focusing on all the things they don't have, right? We would never do that. All right, let's move on. Let's see what happens. Next verse, Moses and Aaron turned away from the people, which is sometimes what you got to do with your haters. Right? So they turn away from the people and they go to the entrance of the tabernacle where, the, where they fell down, where they fell on their faces down to the ground and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. And as the people watch, I want you to speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. I gotta keep drinking. I lost my voice at Easter. All right. So we get the we get the complaint. Now we get the plan. Here's what actually happens. Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord, and then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Are you really not gonna shut up? Come on, not like anybody else here wouldn't have felt similar. If Moses was from New England, he would add a few other words for him. (laughs) Then Moses raised his hand and he struck the rock twice with the staff and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land that I am giving them. See, this is not a super well-known story. Although three times the children of Israel are in the desert and they run out of water. They have no water. The very first time is right after they get out of Egypt and there's no water for them. And then there's this, they find a, a, like a little lake and it's super bitter. And God says, tells Moses, throw in this branch into the water and it turns the bitter water sweet. And it's a very cool picture of what God does in our life. And it's the first time that he supplies water for the people. Not too much longer after that, um, just, just a short time later, they run out of water again. And they're, they're all, they're, they're complaining, we're going to die, we're going to die. And God goes, go over to this rock and hit it, and I'll, I'll take care, I'll, I'll supply life for everybody. So Moses hits the rock, it outspills the water, and everybody gets to live. So now, it's been 40 years later, 40 years later. By the way, those 40 years were punishments for them not going into the promised land because they were afraid. And so God is making them wander around the desert to teach them to trust him. And guess what happens? During, right at the end, they run out of water, and they're like, we should have been in Egypt. And so Moses hears from God. He's supposed to go up and speak to the rock, and the rock will start giving out water. And Moses gets up there, and he takes this staff. He's like, are you guys ever going to stop whining? Do we have to get water out of this rock? Do, really? It's kind of like he said, really? Come on. Right? That's exactly what he's doing. I mean, come on. And so he takes the rock and he just, I mean, he takes the staff and he hits that rock twice. And then water comes out and everybody's like, oh, awesome. And the result of that miracle is that God says, Moses, you don't get to go into the promised land. God kills Moses and Aaron before they ever get to go in the promised land. If you read Deuteronomy, Moses begs God. He says, God, please, please let me, just let me walk into the promised land. Let me just cross the river and see some of the glory of the land that you've given us. And God goes, don't ask me again. I'm not talking to you about this anymore. You done messed up. He allows Moses to go to a mountaintop and look into the promised land, but that's as close as Moses gets. Now, Moses is one of the greatest leaders of all time. He goes down in the Hall of Fame of Faith. He is one of the best men of God on the history of the planet, and yet he has a severe punishment 
like missing out on the end goal. His entire life was grooming him to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And when he gets to the finish line, he dies before getting to cross the Jordan River. His protege, Joshua, becomes the new leader, crosses Jordan, and he brings the people into the promised land. Have you ever stopped to think, why would God be so mean? Why would God do that to him? Well, there's a lot of theories on this. You know, obviously, he disobeyed God. I mean, that's kind of obvious, right? God said, speak to the rock, and what's he do? He hits it. Some of you are like waiting for the answer. Like I read it like five times. He hit the rock. God said, speak to the rock. And Moses hits the rock. So it's disobedience. But why is he disobedient? Well, man, I mean, come on. I mean, like just name something, right? Right? Look at the verse. The first verse says what? Miriam dies. His sister's dead. Surely we could give him some, cut him some slack for sadness right pain we'd be feeling that what's verse two say there's no water heck if you're in the desert and there is no water around you're gonna feel some desperation some fear i mean he's got to be feeling that too what's the next three verses say or next two verses say it says the people blamed moses if only we had died in the in, in the lord's presence and then in verse four why have you brought us here so now we've got the, the pain and the sadness of his sister dying. We've got the desperation and the fear of having no water. Now we have people complaining, so he has no friends. So he, that companionship he doesn't have. He has, feels guilty. He feels responsible. He probably feels annoyed or frustrated, as some of you have mentioned. We just listed 10 or 12 reasonable emotions for Moses to feel, Right? Would you not feel at least one of those if you were in his place? And see, what culture tells us is that if you have a reason to feel that way, then that gets to dictate how you act. And God so much so disagrees with that, that Moses' punishment is that he doesn't get to go into the promised land because that is so not true. Hear me. It is so not true that your feelings get to dictate your actions. If you're taking notes, I just want to show you these three things, and we'll close. This is it. I just want to show you what this story teaches us. Facts, or feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts, all right? Feelings are not facts. You're giving your feelings power. Like, yes, he felt alone. The people were mad at him. Yes, he felt sad. His sister had died like he was never going to see her again. Yes, he felt desperate because the water wasn't there. Man, it's, it's not true, though. It's not true that he, he, he was really alone. He had Joshua. He had Aaron. He had a whole group of people that loved him. He just felt alone in that moment of people complaining against him. He felt like he would never see his sister again, but the truth is that he and his sister both had a faith in God. They were going to be reunited one day in eternity. It was true that there was no water at that moment, but it wasn't true that they were going to die and perish because God had a plan for them. But you see, you and I have a feeling and that it has to be true. I need you to understand there is, a, there is a feeling that we have or this idea that we have that our feelings have to be 100% the only logical outcome, the only outcome we can imagine because we see it and we go, I feel this way. So it just, there is no other options. And when you do that, what you do is you're giving control of your emotions to your flesh. See, now God has allowed you to experience all these different kinds of emotions. Jesus felt emotions, just so you understand. Jesus was sad when his friend Lazarus died. It says Jesus wept. Jesus was angry when people corrupted the temple. See, emotions aren't bad. And they can inspire you to actions, but they have to be done through the leading of God in your life, not through you and your flesh. All of this comes down to your ability to have self-control. The lack of self-discipline, the lack of self-control is why our emotions are tearing apart our communities and our families because everybody just, this is the way I feel, so it has to be. How many kids have left home and burned bridges with their parents because they were convinced that the way they saw the world was the only way to see the world and if their parents couldn't see it, they were done? 
How many people in here have stopped jobs or friendships or whatever because they, they could only see what they could see and then that was it. That had to be the, the only truth that there was. There may be more to it than just what you can see or feel in that moment. See, this is what 2 Peter chapter 2 says in verse 19. You're a slave to whatever controls you. Now, that verse hurt. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know about that. I mean, it's just temporary. I'm just temporarily being controlled by my anger or my greed. I did a greedy thing, but like, I can stop being greedy. No, you feed that monster and it wraps you up. See, some of you have fed the jealousy monster. Some of you have fed the excitement monster. Some of you have, have given into the feeling of, man, if I can just relax. And see, now you're addicted. See, if I can, if I can just find love and somebody to, to care for me and to love me and to be a part of this, then, man, I'll have it. Now you've given into your lust or your passions and you don't make smart decisions anymore because he or she is cute. See, our emotions lead us to things and then end up controlling us. We do dumb things because we have been enslaved to the thing that controls us, to the thing that we gave control to. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it this way. Everything's permittable. Like, I'm allowed to be angry. Jesus was angry. I can be sad. Now, not all of the feelings are good. Like, greed is not good, you know. Jealousy, God says he was jealous in the first verses that we read. Jealousy, God can be because jealousy says, I need to be number one. God's really the only person that can righteously be jealous. You and I are jealous because we have an ego and we shouldn't be. But, like, there's, there's some that are wrong, but there are some emotions that are okay. And it says, this verse says, it's, it's permissible, but not everything that's permissible is beneficial, this is important because this is where, this is where you, you're only hearing this truth from God's word. You're not hearing this truth from anywhere else. I read a lot of books. Very few of them say the way you feel may not be beneficial for your life because everything that's permissible doesn't necessarily mean it's good. Everything is permissible, but, but I will not be enslaved by anything. This is what Paul's trying to tell him. I don't want to be enslaved. I don't want to be held captive by my sadness. Somebody listening, you're not supposed to be held captive. You're not supposed to be enslaved by your depression. Some of you need to hear me. You're not supposed to be held chained up by your fear. This is what he said. Nothing gets to control me. I'm not going to be brought under its power, allowing it to control me. How many of you have been controlled by a feeling that you have? You got jealous and so you started being mean. Or you, 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 you pursued, maybe you pursued a little bit of anger and now you've just started lashing out to people. You, you wanted, you wanted to, to satisfy an urge and now you've just been, you've given into pornography or an unhealthy relationship. You're allowing things that you want to control you. See, Galatians chapter 5, verse number 1 says, Freedom, the freedom that Christ has set us free, and stand firm on that. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Jesus will set you free from the things that bind you. You have to be the one in, in enough self-control to go, I don't want to jump back into that pit. See, God reaches in, pulls you out, Says, no, you don't need to be in all that mess. Here you go. I'm putting you on firm, solid ground. And then you and I stand there, rescued by God, and we're like, well, I don't know. I think I might go right. He's like, no. You, he loves you enough to let you choose whether to love him or to love the things of the world. And you and I keep jumping right back into bondage, right back into slavery, right back into the things that we're not supposed to do because we haven't learned Self-control. Pastor, I just don't know. I don't know if I could ever let go of this fill-in-the-blank emotion. We'll see. John chapter 8 says, it doesn't really matter what you think, because when the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Amen. See, the Bible also says, I don't have the verse up there, but the Bible also says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. That if you are tempted to do something, God will provide an escape where you don't have to give in to your emotion. You do not have to give in to your emotion. Those of you that want to post about how 
angry you are, how sad you are, how mad you are, how depressed you are, how whatever you are. You do not have to give into that emotion tomorrow or the next day or the next day. I'm not saying there aren't reasons to feel that way. I'm just saying you don't have to live in that. See, here's the, the part about the story that we don't want to really own up to. The whole thing it cost him going into the promised land. By the way, there's so many different theories on why God punished him so severely for this disobedience. I truly believe it's because Moses messed up a beautiful picture. When Moses struck the rock, the second time that God had sent him to a rock, the first time he strikes the rock and the rock brings salvation. The second time he's supposed to speak to the rock to get salvation. That rock, in my opinion, was a picture of Jesus Christ to those people so that they had something thousands of years in advance to look back on. The first time Jesus came, he was nailed to a cross. He was beaten and broken for our sins, and that's where salvation came from, that beating. The second time Jesus comes, he ain't getting beaten. See, Moses messed up a beautiful picture in his anger when he disobeyed. It wasn't just about him disobeying. I think he ruined a beautiful illustration that God had for the people, and that's why God was frustrated. That's just my theory, but I, I haven't found a better one. I've read hundreds of different ideas. Um, anyways, here's what God says. If you read that verse when God says, him, he's not, says he's not going in there, in verse number 12, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, that's why you don't get to lead them anymore. See, you didn't demonstrate my holiness, and this is what I've called you to do, to demonstrate my holiness. And why didn't you demonstrate my holiness? Because you didn't trust me enough. Here's what this story teaches me, that you need to deal with the root, not the fruit. See, if we're going to talk about our emotional problems, and, and as we go forward in idolatry, if we're going to talk about the struggle we have with idolatry, we, we, what we would do, what you and I would do if we were Moses, we would come back and we go, okay, I've got a bit of an anger problem. Right? He got angry at the people, and that's his problem, right? You know the amount of time I sit counseling people who are like, yeah, I have a uh, whatever problem. We pick the surface problem, and we're like, I guess that's it. We deal with the fruit, and we think, if I can just pluck that out, <laughs> everything will go, everything will be fixed. No, let's get to the root problem. I keep trimming. If, I, if I, I've got those stupid vines in my backyard that want to grow everywhere, if I just keep clipping the ends off, they're going to come back, and they're going to come back stronger. And be, like Some of you don't look like you garden on Cape Cod. Like, they're everywhere. And it's like, okay, like you, you have to dig that out by the root, or else it's going to keep coming back. And the root problem of why you give into whatever emotion or feeling that you're giving into is that you do not trust God like you're supposed to. That's it. Well, I've got 100. I know. Moses, I gave you 12 that I could think of, had a bunch of reasons for why he did what he did. But in those moments of whether it was sadness over his sister or fear over the water or anger over the people's stupidity, whichever emotion it was or the culmination of emotions that he gave into, in that moment, he trusted himself and how he felt and thought about all of that more than he trusted God's plan for how he was supposed to act. Slice that however you want. God tells you that tomorrow you go out and live your life in a way that just like Moses, you are supposed to demonstrate God's holiness. The way you talk to people, the way you interact with people, whether it's your family, your coworkers, your classmates, your friends, your husband, your wife, your parents, you fill in the blank. You're supposed to demonstrate God's holiness. You're called to be a messenger of light, is what the Bible says. When you don't do that, you can have a hundred reasons why your emotions pulled you away from that, but all of them come back to you trusted yourself that your feeling was the best way to act versus God's command on you to act that way. When Jesus acted in anger towards those people desecrating the temple, it was to promote the holiness of God. When Jesus was sad, it was because God had given him a friend that he had lost and he was reacting in it, not in despair and screaming and wailing and not that he, that he had lost faith that God loved him and how could God take his friend Lazarus? He was just in the emotion that there is a pain that comes with the cost of sin and the cost of sin on this planet is death. That was not a dishonor to God. See, you can be sad and you can have different emotions at different times, but they cannot be the thing that controls all of your actions. They have to be funneled through. Is this 
still bringing holiness to God or pointing to God's holiness is the best way to say that. See, Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city that doesn't have any walls. If you do not learn to control yourself, if you do not learn how to funnel what, what your actions, control your emotions, you have no defenses. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given you the spirit of fear and timidity. He's given you the power of love and self-discipline. He has given you that. If you're sitting there going, I don't have it in me, I can't do it. God gave it to you. You just have to work that muscle out a little bit. For some of you, don't put any weights on the barbell. Just start, just lift the bare one, okay? Just start there. Just start flexing that self-discipline and grow it a little bit. Titus 2, 11 and 12 says it this way, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, renounce worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. That's what God's called us to. A self-controlled, upright, godly life. We don't do that because the world says everything opposite of that. And everywhere we look, people are doing anything but self-controlled, upright, godly lives. And we just join in. Here's the, the thing I want you to take away with, and this is the end, and this is, I'm just going to read a couple verses and we're done. The thing that I get out of there is the part that Moses got right in that story is when he went and he fell on his face. And he said, God, what do you want me to do? See, in that moment, he was doing the right thing. In that moment, he was modeling the fact that you're supposed to live by faith, not by feelings. If you're looking for an answer for what am I supposed to do tomorrow, pastor? You got to stop trusting your heart. You got to stop trusting that everything that you feel, no matter how much the world says, if your heart wants it, then go for it. Stop buying into that. Jeremiah chapter 17 says the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. It's desperately wicked. And God asked the question, who really knows how bad it is? It's a rhetorical question. God's like, I'm the only one that realizes how bad the human heart really is. See, Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 say this. I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful side of you wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. See, you're going to either live by faith or you're going to live by flesh. Tomorrow or the next day or whenever you feel that you are allowing your emotions to take control, remember that you're the one that gets to pick if you're going to feed your flesh or you're going to feed your faith. In your spirit, God gives you the strength to overcome some of the heaviness that you're feeling or the the pull to act on your own. In your flesh, it just wants you to pour gasoline on a fire that's going to continue to consume you. 1 Peter 2.11 says it this way, abstain from the passions of the flesh. They are waging war against your soul. Avoid that stuff. Well, I don't really know how to do that. Romans 13 verse 12 says, remove the dark deeds that you have like dirty clothes. Tonight, when you get home and you take off your clothes, tomorrow morning, whatever, when you, when you get in the shower, just remember God's saying like, the same thing for your spirit. Take off the old you. Die daily to become more like Christ. Make a choice to be self-disciplined, to live like Jesus tomorrow, not like you. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let yourself think about ways to indulge in your evil desires. See, James says if you'll submit to God, you can resist the devil and he'll flee. The hard part of that verse is submit to God. You and I have trained ourselves to submit to us. That is not what God has for us. It's not what God has for you. I'm asking you as we lean into a series about what we idolize, would you maybe just acknowledge that God is trying to speak to you in this moment today about giving in to that feeling that you have all the time. That feeling that pulls you away from his holiness 
that thing that has distracted you from growing deeper in your walk with God, is that something that you have you've said yes to too many times? How about in this moment right now you say, God, I need to trust you more. That, that can only happen if you've already invited Jesus Christ into your heart. If you've already made Jesus the Lord of your life, then you in this moment go, God, I'm going to trust you right now and tomorrow and the next day more than I'm going to trust my own feelings. And when I, when I have something well up inside of me, I'm going to filter it through. Is this what Jesus would have done? Is this what God has for me? Or is this just something I want? And you begin to flex that muscle of self-discipline. If you can't say that, then in this moment right now, what you need to do is you need to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord. Because you can't have that direction. You can't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you unless you've invited Jesus to come into your life. So we got to start there. One or, one or the other is the decision you need to make right now. So as I pray, will you pray? Just bow your head and close your eyes. As I pray out loud, will you just ask God to do a work in your heart? To show you what it is that you can learn and to show you how to maybe remove some of the idols, some of the things you're worshiping, so that you can put more emphasis, more glory, more focus on your relationship with Christ. Dearly Father, Lord God, thank you for who you are and what you've given us. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for the story of Moses who screwed up, not because he screwed up, but because you allow us to learn from it. And God, you showed that you loved him even though he messed up. God, I know that you love every person under the sound of my voice, even though we continue to mess up. Lord, would you forgive us for the times that we've leaned into our emotions? Would you forgive us of, of being too eager to, to do what we feel? Forgive us for trusting our feelings more than you. Help us to put our faith where it truly belongs. God, help us to, to stay close to you today, tomorrow, and the next. God, help us be the kind of people in our families and in our relationships, in our friendships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Help us be the kind of people that point others to you, not to how our feelings are. God, I pray for the person that right now needs to trust you more than they trust anything else. They need to trust you as the Lord of their life. They need to move out of the driver's seat and let you call the shots. God, I pray that they would do that right now. And I pray that every single one of us would be a little bit different tomorrow than how we started today. That we would talk and live and act a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less like the old version of us. God, I pray this and I claim this in your precious and holy name. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.